Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran. Of course, with me is Stephen Otterstrom. And Stephen, I'm excited about our guest today, but let me check in and see if you've got anything in your world happening before we introduce our friend today. I'm happy to report a very boring week. Nothing, <laughs> nothing too exciting to share. And uh, let's hope that next week can be just as boring. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, no, no additional COVID or anything in my household either. So uh, I'll, I'll take boring for the time being. I, I was um, very happy that my parents got their shot last weekend. So uh, they're on their way to immunity. And I think we are all breathing a little more... Um, of a breath of fresh air, a little more freely. There's not yeah. quite the same concern that we had before. Uh, not that we're sending them to nightclubs or anything, but uh, yeah. uh, we are happy <laughs> that yeah. uh, that we're on that path and, and there's a little less anxiety than there was in the past. Yeah. Well, I know both, both my parents have shot one out of two and they both have a different shot that they're taking. So we'll, I guess they're having a contest to see who, who gets theirs first and which one works the best. So <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you updated if we have progress report there. That sounds great. So, Well, let's go ahead and dive right into our guest so we have maximum time available here. So this is a guest we've had before. Of course, if you've been listening to the last couple of podcasts, we've already promoted who we have. But for those of you that haven't been listening to the last two podcasts, uh, we have a special guest that's been with us one time before, and we have Britt Andrietta with us. And if you're not familiar with Britt and her work, uh, she's the former chief learning officer of lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning. And of course, she's moved on now and has her own company. And during the course of time, she's written three different books. Highly recommend you get a hold of these if you're interested in how our brains work. So we have Wired to Grow, Wired to Resist, and Wired to Connect. And I'm so pleased that Britt is joining us today. And we are going to be talking about what will soon be her next book, Wired to Become the Neuroscience of Purpose. So Britt, first of all, thank you for joining us on our program again today. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's happy to, I'm just happy to be back, Leonard and Steve, and joining you on this great podcast. Thank you. So, Britt, uh, let's, you know, we'll dive right in and let's kind of kick it off. How in the world with neuroscience did you end up on the topic of purpose? Kind of walk us through that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came to neuroscience, you know, late in the game. My PhD is in education, leadership, and organization. So I've always studied kind of that intersection of leadership and learning. And it was at my time at lynda.com as a chief learning officer, I started looking at neuroscience because it's a relatively new field. It wasn't around when I was getting my doctorate. And I thought, huh, you know, what does it tell us about learning? And I was so blown away by all the insights that I got from it. And it definitely made me better at my craft. So I started doing talks on it. And then people were like, you have to write this book. So I did. And then our company was acquired and I was in the middle of that huge transition and change. And I realized all the change models I was certified in did not explain what was happening to me and my colleagues. So that became book two. I was like, what does you know, brain science tell us about change? And then I, was, then I realized, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be writing books on the brain science of various things that we go through. And the third book is all about teams. So how I got to purpose is in all of my talks, I kind of simplify 
the human body by saying we're wired for three things. If you remember nothing else, remember this, we're wired to survive, which is our need for food, water, and shelter. And that translates to our need for professional opportunities and safety at work because our paycheck is how we buy food, water, shelter. And then I talk about our need to belong is our second one, which is tied to survival, but it's how we're wired to be a tribal species and work well in groups and why moments of exclusion are incredibly threatening, all that stuff. And third, we're wired to become our best selves. We're, we're wired to grow and learn and to be who we're meant to be on this planet, doing the work we're meant to do. So part of that is, is knowing what our purpose is. So for me, it's kind of the, the next in the evolution of the things I've been writing about. And it's also personal. You know, I, I'm always guided by my own sense of purpose. I know when I'm on my sense of purpose, things are easy. I feel more positive. I get a lot more motivation for my work. And if I've strayed from my path, I can feel really disconnected, sometimes even depressed. So I know for myself, being on path with my purpose is also core of who I am. So it, it just was a natural kind of extension of the work I'd already been doing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, let me, um, we'll, we'll dig into purpose a little more, but I want to set it up in a different form of a question because we hear so much about pursuing your passion nowadays. And maybe, maybe it's just social media, but maybe it's real life too. You know, pursue your passion, pursue your passion. And we're talking about purpose here now with you. So do you see, number one, is there a difference between those two? And then as you kind of unpack that, go ahead and tell us what your definition of purpose is so we have a little more clarity if you would. Okay, great. Um, actually, they're two very different things, but they're very related. So, you know, even if we just go back to the definition in, in the good old dictionary, passion is really a, a feeling. It's a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement for something or for doing something. Um, it's also an object of someone's love, liking, or desire. So it's definitely a, an intense emotion. Passion is. Where purpose is really the aim or a goal of a person, what they're trying to do or become. And, you know, purpose is really kind of the reason why we do things. It's that deeper reason why we might do something. And passion is kind of the motivation that makes us feel good. Another way to think about it is what is the passion? Like our passion is our what and our purpose is the why we do it. We tend to have one core purpose, but we can have multiple passions. So I'm kind of doing a little you know, comparison chart here. <laughs> and passion can be all over the place. It can be wild and exciting. We can kind of split our energy amongst several passions. But purpose is much more focused. It's deeper. It's more core, core to who we are in the world. And the other thing that's really important here is purpose is really more about the contribution we want to make to others or to society. It's, it's more of a focus on how can I contribute um, rather than, you know, what makes me personally feel good. So there's really a difference here. What's also really interesting is that um, they show up differently in the brain too. There's two types of well-being that, you know, researchers have studied kind of the passion, pleasure, happiness side. It's called hedonic well-being, and it really focuses on that happiness or pleasure attainment. And then the purpose side is the eudaimonic, and it's our, our well-being that we get from striving toward meaning, purpose, potential, and self-realization. And when you ask people questions about those things, it activates different parts of the brain. So they're actually different neurologically, which is why some researchers um, 
uh, like uh, have found that people can score high in happiness, but low in a sense of purpose. So we need both. Both are important in our life, but they actually are distinct things. This is really interesting because, you know, in, in many ways, I think I've always thought of purpose from the perspective that it was um, an, an intangible thing out there. But what you're describing is, is something that is semi-physical actually happening in my brain that generates purpose. Am, am I hearing that correctly? Yes. Well, how neuroscientists study something is they'll have people, you know, in some kind of device, like an MRI machine or wearing one of the EEG skull caps, and then ask them to talk about their passions or their purpose, or they'll ask them questions about passion and purpose. And what they see is when people are reflecting on or doing those activities, it's lighting up distinctly different parts of the brain. Neuroscience is still such a new field. And honestly, the studies on purpose are very few and far between. So we're just scratching the surface here. But at least initial findings are that passion and purpose are not only distinctly different things, but we experience things biologically as distinctly different. Now, that we, they can overlap, right? Your passion can be totally fueling um sorry, I got that wrong. Your purpose can be fueling your passion and there can be overlaps between them, but they are different things, which is why people can have a lot of happiness in their life, but not necessarily feel on purpose, or they can feel on purpose, but not necessarily have activated their passions yet. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just reflecting on that for a moment. Cause that's, that's an interesting thought. So we can, we can be happy, but not necessarily make sure I'm tracking you here. We can be happy, but not necessarily feel as though we are fulfilling our purpose. Is that, is that what I just heard? You know, yeah, that's good. I want to further, further tease out the difference between happiness and passion, right? So yeah. happiness is kind of a fleeting feeling. Like I get happiness sure. when I eat chocolate, right? It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's gone, yeah, exactly. But it's gone pretty quickly. And so kind of this pleasure attainment thing we can be doing throughout our day or throughout our week, and we can be getting these little jolts of happiness, but they, they fade pretty quickly. Hmm. Purpose when you're on purpose and you feel like you're making a meaningful contribution, that it's not always happy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult, mm -hmm. but there's a feeling of deep satisfaction and just knowing you're on the right path that I don't know how to explain it. It's just a deeper knowingness um, that tends to endure over a long period of time because you don't have to have specific moments every day to know that you're you're living your purpose or you're contributing to your purpose. So they are different. And then passion is kind of that feeling that gets us excited about something. Usually people have passion for their purpose because purpose is so core to who they are, but you can have passions for other things too. Like I have a passion for chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I break you up and I'm not going to find chocolate in the middle, that's not the core of who you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on the day. Sometimes there might be a lot of chocolate. But, but it may be a very <laughs> powerful motivator. <laughs> Here's another thing to add. Aristotle calls purpose the virtuous activity of the soul. Mm. And it's more focused around making a contribution to others, being of service, the good you want to do in the world. So this is why purpose you'll also find talked about a lot in spiritual communities or people who are spiritual. They relate that to how they choose where they want to work or the kind of work that they do. It's that deeper 
It has a spiritual element to it. It's part of our soul, however you define that for yourself. Yeah, I really, I, re- I really did wonder about that because I, I know just, I would imagine a number of people would consider their purpose sort of intertwined with their faith. And so uh, it sounds like Aristotle kind of agrees with that to measure anyhow, at least. Yeah. So I, I, I guess the million dollar question that I'll ask at this point then, Britt, is how does a person find their purpose, right? I mean, I, I think of, you know, like Vic, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and, you know, why am I here and all of those types of questions that we, we seem to have universal questions around it. So is there a magic way of discovering our purpose or, or any, <laughs> what, what tips do you have, I guess, <laughs> would maybe be the best thing to say? Uh, how, how do we discover that purpose? Uh, without putting diodes on our head and, and uh, having somebody ask us a bunch of questions. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Well, I think this is telling Rick Warren is a pastor who wrote um, the book, the purpose driven life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is the best selling nonfiction book in all of history. Mm-hmm. Period. End yeah. of sentence. And in that book, he asks questions around, you know, why am I alive? Which is our question of existence does my life matter, which is all about our significance? And what am I here for, which is all about purpose? Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is the best-selling book of all times, I think really speaks to that, you know, <laughs> it's an existential question for humans. Um, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Each of us come to that question at different times in our life, right? So you asked kind of how do people find their purpose? The good news is that that journey is unique to each of us and there's tons of paths where you can get there. So if you're sitting here listening to this and you feel like you haven't found it yet, no worries. We can get you there. Um, some people, you know, knew it early in their childhoods. They just kind of were born with a sense of what they were supposed to be doing and they've always felt called to it and, and their, their choices from their childhood forward have always been in alignment with it. That's not me, but I'm so happy for people who have that. Good for them. They were very clear at an early age. Um, Others discover it through, you know, as they get older, like through activities they enjoyed, things that they studied in college, and then the jobs that they got and the work that they started to do. And they start to discover, oh, you know, what what do I like doing? What am I good at? Um, and you, it starts to kind of circle you around to something that starts to have meaning. This is the path I took, you know, like in college, I started working with other students. I had, you know, jobs where I was helping people and I realized I really enjoyed helping people. And then there was some teaching elements and I was like, Oh, I really like teaching. And then I started to discover that, you know, teaching kind of subjects, I wasn't all that excited, but when I could help somebody discover something about themselves or help them be better, that was where I really, like, I got a lot of juice from it and they did too. And so over time you've seen, even though there's been this golden thread in my career, I've always been about helping people rise to their potential and helping people be their best selves. There's different ways I do that. And neuroscience is now part of that, but that was my journey. And I love there's, I would encourage people to Google this. There's a, there's a Venn diagram out there that talks about passion and purpose and all of this. It has four circles that overlap. So almost kind of picture a clover leaf like shape. And there's kind of what you love, which gives you access to, um, you know, what kind of things you should maybe be exploring there. The next circle is what are my strengths, what I get paid for and what the world needs. 
And it can help you identify your passion, your purpose or mission, your profession, and also your vocation. So there's, I think a lot of people come to their sense of purpose through just professional exploration. So that's another path. A third path, you know, Viktor Frankl is an example. When we go through a really challenging time or a tragedy, we're often awakened to something that feels really important to us or feels like it needs fixing or shifting in the world. You know, Viktor Frankl is a Holocaust survival and he wrote Man's Search for Meeting. And he says, there is nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive, even the worst conditions, as the knowledge that there is meaning in one's life. Mm -hmm. And so he writes about that journey of figuring out what his purpose was and what his meaning is. And then, you know, the fourth path is personal reflection reading books on the subject, like Viktor Frankl's book, Rick Warren's book, taking workshops, going uh, on retreats. And, and then I think at the core of all that is just sitting and listening to your inner voice. So meditation is definitely a pathway, is just reflecting. And I think this is why the pandemic is super relevant right now. Um, because people have, well, you're furloughed podcast, right? People have lost their jobs, have been furloughed, and now they have a lot of time to kind of get off the track they were on. We have more time to reflect. We can't distract ourselves with all those things we used to keep ourselves busy. So people are getting a lot of time for self-reflection. For some, that's driving them a little crazy, and others, they're like leaning into it and saying, okay, I want to use this time to kind of ask myself these questions what do I enjoy? What matters to me? What, what do I value? How do I want to be in the world? And I heard you guys giggling. So talk a little bit about what's going on for you about that. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's no question. I, I think the pandemic and furlough has given everybody cause for reflection. That's what I was laughing. And since uh, I've returned back to my previous job, and uh, I don't know if you're aware, but Steve is now doing other work than prior to his uh, furlough mm -hmm. beginning. Uh, so he was let go midway through. And, uh, but it's interesting now that I'm back, course, we have a smaller team than we did before uh, because of the, uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm in the hospitality industry, so we were mm -hmm. greatly affected by it. Yeah. Uh, but I have a smaller team than before that I'm a part of. But every time we have any kind of meeting, how appreciative everybody is of the littlest work that gets accomplished. And I think it's sincere. I don't think they're just blowing smoke, so to speak. I think it's sincere, but I think having gone through what we've gone through, it's just there's a greater appreciation for uh, kind of that wired to connect thing, right? There's a greater mm -hmm. appreciation for that camaraderie and for those conversations that we now have. Whereas pre-pandemic, yeah, we just kind of took each other a little bit for granted quite possibly. Absolutely. And times like this are also an incredible time of self-reflection and values clarification. Yes. Like, you know, how much weight did we put on the kind of business <laughs> business clothes? Oh, well, the weight we put on. Hey, chocolate and weight, you're going to ruin this for us here. You're not coming I, back. I can tell you exactly how much weight I put on, if, if, if that helps if that, <laughs> determine my purpose. That is so not what I was saying, but that is so funny. Um, how much focus we put on. <laughs> oh, oh, focus. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how much focus we put on things like business attire, right? And none of us are wearing any of that stuff right now. And then it's like, you know, I've seen all these like funny memes and stuff. Like when people yeah. think they have to go back to work, like I'm not putting on button up pants anymore. You can't <laughs> um, 
things like that, you know, even just kind of our resistance to working from home and what we used to think about whether people could be productive or not. And now we know that that, that was an illusion and people can be super productive. I certainly think even like the, the reason so many people participated in the protests this summer is that we've all been sitting here thinking about what kind of world we want to live in. And it was really clear, like racism and police brutality is not okay. It's not okay for a lot of us, regardless of our own race. And people went out in the streets and said, this is how I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time saying, this is not okay. And I think we're going to see more of those values-driven conversations because people have gotten more in touch with when it comes down to it, you know, it's the core values that matter the most, not some of that surfacey stuff we can get distracted by. When I think that's almost where I'm kind of grappling in my own mind to try and understand really what purpose ends up being is, you know, in some ways it, it seems like it's this common thread that, that is there. Like few people ask, is there a purpose? They ask, what is my purpose? You know, so it's almost like there's this, this idea that there's this underlying purpose that's always there. But on the same note, it's also really easy for us to go a long time without really thinking about what it is as we go through the processes, like purpose changes to a process and we go through process day in and day out. Is, is it possible for us to replace purpose with process? Is it possible for us to wake ourselves up? It, is there always an underlying purpose in every individual? <laughs> Maybe that's too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, well, here's our sense of purpose can change over our lifetime. So we don't always have to have one that is there the whole lifetime. We can have different ones. So, um, and some of us, you know, particularly in our childhoods, we may not have tuned into anything. Um, you know, I know a few people who've always known kind of who they're supposed to be since they were little, but most people I know come to it as they leave their homes and start to operate in the world as an adult. And, Again, it depends on what kind of belief system you had in place. If you were raised around a core set of values that maybe had a, a grounding in a religion or spirituality, that may have been already part of your belief system. For other people, like I think about some of the parents of school shooting victims and how after that happens, so many of them go on to like really fight for legislation and become spokespeople. And that tragedy becomes a core sense of their purpose. And it wasn't there before, right? It, it, they weren't doing that work before. Um, so I know having a sense of purpose, regardless of what it is, and it can change, but having some kind of core sense of meaning, this is why I'm here. This is where I'm directing my energy. This is what I want to contribute to. How do I want to be of service? That that people that have that sense of purpose are happier and healthier. So it might be helpful um, if I talk a little bit about some of the benefits that having a sense of purpose can have, but I do want to just clearly answer the question, some people have not yet discovered their sense of purpose, so they may feel like they don't have one. And so um, they, there's just exploration to do. I know that when people go searching for one, they will eventually find one. And it comes down to just what do you care about deeply? How do you want to contribute to the world? What What is the thing you want to make better? And for some folks, that's going to look like social justice, 
work for other people, it may be creating beautiful things and it's aesthetic and it's an artistic thing that they want to contribute. Um, but it's, you'll know it when you're doing it because it'll just give you a deep sense of satisfaction. And if you haven't found it yet, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist for you. You just need to explore a little more and, and it'll come. It'll, it'll eventually be revealed. I'm thinking, I'm processing yeah. uh, what, what you're saying. And, um, and I, really, I really would be interested in, in hearing more than about some of these benefits of, of having a purpose. I, I think for me, one of the challenges uh, that I have in, in, in grasping this, this concept of purpose is I still end up leaning back on passion. Like there's certainly always been something I was excited about or maybe wasn't excited about, but that's not necessarily my purpose. Um, and so I, I've actually brought up the little Venn diagram here, <laughs> what I love, what my strengths are, what I get paid for, uh, what the world needs. And it seems like uh, my purpose might be a little pinball that's just bouncing back and forth between these individual items, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and maybe that's okay. Um, or maybe, maybe there's an underlying force that, that kind of indicates where it's going to go or why it's going to be in a certain place. Yeah. And that, that's different for each of us. Like, you know, I definitely get to do my job is around what I, my sense of purpose is and what I'm passionate for. Um, other people, they go to their job and it's fine. They do it. They get their paycheck, but they spend that money and they spend their time on their weekends around the thing that they really is really their sense of purpose or their, their passion. You know, pretty much passion is going to show up around your purpose, but you can have passion that's not necessarily tied to a purpose. So kind of one is definitely tied to the other, but the other is not always tied back. So here's a quote that might be helpful. Bonnie Dasnane says, purpose is the reason you journey passion is the fire that lights your way. When I look at my line of work, you know, there's some parts of the stuff that I do that I'm not too excited about. I don't have a whole lot of passion for doing my taxes or for <laughs> figuring out some of my business stuff or even, you know, some of the things that are around the stuff that I have passion for. But my, my sense of purpose is really, I want to help people be better and become who they're meant to be, whatever that looks like for them. So then that can look a lot of different ways. Right now I'm building a new training that's super exciting to me. And every day I get up and work on it, I have passion for it. I don't feel tired when I do it. I love working on it. It's the PowerPoints and the activities and all that kind of stuff. I have passion for that whole project. Um, but if I was working on that project and it wasn't tied to my sense of purpose, like for me, they're connected. If I get this training out in the world, I'm going to be helping people become their best selves. So for me, it's like a twofer that I get. <laughs> yeah. um, does that you help? You just make the PowerPoint, <laughs> you know, that passion needed that purpose. It needed that, that direction or that, that, that um, kind of honing in of where your passion is headed. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the why it's the yes. why I'm doing it. And so the, the stuff that I'm doing then is also enjoyable for me because I know it's going to contribute to the thing that really matters to me. You know, when I sit down and do my taxes or I analyze my business documents, ugh, it's not very exciting, but I can get through it because I know it's tied to me making a difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, Britt, too, because I know uh, there have been times um, 
well, like like you, one of the things that I enjoy is helping to develop people and see people grow to their full potential. And in my previous role and the job that I had in the past, I was the boss and I was the one that ended up handling discipline. And I hated to handle discipline, um, but I, my boss always kind of handed it to me and made me do it because he thought that I was effective with it. And so my purpose, I had to really stay focused on my purpose when I did the discipline. And my purpose was I wanted that person to still maintain a sense of value, to do their job correctly, and to not necessarily hate me when it was all done and over. I mean, that, that might be loosely defining purpose, but in the end, that really was so they would be a better person, in turn, being a better employee and so on. And so I had to approach it with that kind of a mindset. And it wasn't that I was ever passionate about discipline or doing it, but it was the whole approach as to why I was doing it was much different than just cracking the ruler and saying, hey, this is what you're going to do from now on or else you're out the door. Right. Great. That's a great example. And, you know, we all have to take jobs at different parts in our lives, particularly now people may feel like they have to take whatever job they can get. Right. And it may feel like, Ugh, I don't really like what I'm doing, but ultimately coming back to this question of what do I care about? And if it's not part of my job, then how can I do it on the evenings and weekends? And if it is part of my job, can I make it more part of my job? Or how do I make these connections so that I get more joy out of the things that I'm doing? And what you just shared was a great example. Yeah, that really is, is helpful, at least for me to put it into context, because there's been many times I've had jobs that I absolutely hated, but I still went to them and I went to them every day to fund my purpose, which was either to raise my children um, <laughs> to buy food. I kind of am into that as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I think that that really is a great way of looking at it that um, otherwise, had there not been, not been a higher purpose, if I was, you know, still 15 and living at home, there's no way I would have returned uh, to that job. So it, it did, it did. It, it's something that is, has kept me moving um, throughout. Now, I guess purpose also sometimes leads you to do things that are not necessarily self-destructive, but are, but are also really uncomfortable. You know, you were talking earlier about uh, going out um, and making a stand for social, social justice. I think about people who um, protested last summer and stood there and took tear gas and pepper spray and, um, and, and, and they did it because of their, there was this purpose is there an additional benefit? Uh, because otherwise, purpose may not always seem like a great thing. If you're just getting your eyes burned out with pepper spray and, and holding the line, that may be difficult. Are there some additional benefits that that make it worthwhile? Great question. And I, you know, I see this echoed in the civil rights movement and and things that John Lewis said about good trouble. Right? Like sometimes when you are passionate about something like equality or justice. What gives you a sense of meaning in that is certainly not the pain that you experience in the moment, but it's seeing more people show up the next day and joining you. It's seeing it show up on the news and you're hearing a conversation about white privilege and systemic you know, oppression that has not been in the news forever. It's about realizing that you're, you're getting through to your lawmakers and that you're starting to see them introduce some new legislation. So um, bringing about anyone who does 
social justice work has a sense of purpose for it. It's exhausting work and you have to have that thing that sustains you. But you also have to have patience and self-care because as we know, you know, the long arc of justice, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. long, but it does come long. around, but it's, it's, not, it's not instant gratification. So purpose really sustains people through difficult times. In fact, um, one of the things that I found in my research was some really mind blowing things around what purpose does for us. But one of the things that it does is it really contributes to community health. So people who have a sense of purpose in their life have more comfort with diversity because, Hey, if I know what I'm doing, I'm more comfortable with what other people are doing. They perceive challenges as less difficult than people who don't have a sense of purpose. So even though when something looks hard or seems hard, people with a sense of purpose perceive it as less hard than others who saw the same thing and didn't have a sense of purpose. It also shields us from negative stuff. So for example, communities who are often threatened by stereotypes, if they have a core sense of purpose themselves, they can withstand the damage of those stereotypes or are less harmed by it because they've got something core to themselves that they are clinging to to get through that difficult time. We also know that people with a sense of purpose uh, rehabilitate better. So if they go into like a drug addiction program or any kind of recovery program, if they have a sense of purpose, they're, they're... their rates of recovery and sustaining that recovery are far greater. Um, And that's certainly true in the prison systems too, that people who are given a sense of purpose or develop one um, have much lower rates of recidivism. So one of the programs that I've seen, I would do some work with uh, uh, the prison fellowship and prison communities, like when prisons introduce some of those um, uh, like uh, seeing eye dog programs where someone's job is to prepare this animal, they their whole lives turn around because now they have a clear sense of purpose that they're supposed to be doing something. And it gives them all these other things that teach them life skills and accountability and love and vulnerability and all this other stuff. So purpose becomes this thing that that plays out in lots of different ways. Let me share two other things that I thought were really mind-blowing. In addition, people who have a sense of purpose have all these health benefits. So there's a reduced risk for dementia, reduced by 50%, reduced risk for stroke by 72%. It slows age-related decline. It reduces depression. It reduces hospital stays, risks of heart attacks, even our inflammatory inflammatory response. So one doctor went on to say, um, we find that people with a strong sense of purpose literally have their DNA repaired more effectively. They have more antibodies and fewer pro-inflammatory cells. We find that people with a strong sense of purpose live longer. Wow. <laughs> okay, I got to go find my sense of purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one more quote for you I want to share. This is Dr. Adam Kaplan, who is at John Hopkins Medicine. He writes, um, purpose in life, which is, um, so let me explain this. Purpose in life is kind of a way to ask people, do you have a sense of purpose in your life? So it's known as P-I-L, purpose in life. So he says, quote, purpose in life or pill research links that belief that your life has meaning and purpose to a robust and persistently improved physiological health outcome. Physicians should consider whether they are too quick to be pill pushers, meaning prescriptions, when they should be PIL, purpose in life promoters. Yeah. 
you know, what, what I keep thinking as you're talking about this, and, and it maybe goes back to your earlier career, <laughs> is um, our education system. Yeah. That I feel like uh, potentially this is where we make our, our, our biggest fails. Yep. Is in helping children find a sense of purpose. Because certainly we might show them how to go through and do a math problem, or we might show them things or have them write. But I don't recall, and I don't see, you know, my kids are finishing school, um, at least their, their um, high school years. But uh, I don't recall ever there being much of an emphasis in helping people or helping children find their purpose. So maybe um, put on the parent hat and help me understand how do we help? How do we help our children? How do we help our loved ones? Because obviously this is something that we can't do without. We need this. How do yeah. we help them find those? It's a great question. In fact, after this is a keynote that I have given this research on purpose and somebody wrote me afterwards saying, oh my gosh, I realized that I don't ever talk about this around the dinner table with my kids. I don't talk about my sense of purpose or theirs. And he made it a, a, a concerted effort to really shift that conversation. And you're right. You know, we school fails us in so many ways. I mean, don't even get me started. You know, if you think back to what schooling was really designed to do, first of all, it's still built around the farming calendar, which, you know, uh, <laughs> isn't all that useful anymore. Um, except for farming families, which I greatly respect and admire. But the whole thing is still built around agriculture, right? And in addition, what school was really designed to do was to prepare people to become workers in factories. So it was designed to prepare them to become good followers of instructions when they went into these mass environments. And school hasn't changed much since then. So we don't talk about what do you really care about? We don't really help people find their strengths. School is still even narrowly focused around two of the nine intelligences that we can have. And, you know, it's a disconnect for a lot of people. And what I say is learning. We're, we're learning creatures. We have a passion for learning that oftentimes gets smushed out of it because we went through education and school. And as adults, oftentimes what we can start to find again is our love of learning. And that's what our passion is. Like right now I have a passion for the fabric arts and I'm learning how to quilt and I'm learning how to do all these complex pieces. I will spend hours and hours and hours reading books, watching videos, taking classes because I'm really passionate about it. And it's not tied to a sense of purpose. It's just fun. But I've just, my love of learning, I eat it up, right? I'm spending so much time on that. And we oftentimes smush learning out of kids because they're forced to study these subjects. It's not related to anything they particularly care about. And we don't even ask them. And then here's the worst part. I used to work at a university for many years when kids start to have a glimmer of a passion, like mom, I want to be an artist, mom, dad, I really want to do this. Parents get so freaked out about making sure they're going to have paying work that we tell them, no, you can't do that. Or you're never going to be good at that. Or very few people succeed at that. And so oftentimes our adult lives are, we end up on a path, it might be successful or not, but somewhere inside of us is that calling still trying to come out. And 
I think that's what the midlife crisis is about, is sometimes we've, we finally, we're far enough down that path and we realize it didn't get us any happier. And then we start to be old enough and have the freedom to start to say, huh, well, what do I really want to be doing or what really matters to me? And that's when people make some of these big life shifts is, is still that search for purpose or coming back to the truth of who they knew they were when they were 10. I wonder even if at that point we have this feeling of I'm so far behind on my purpose that we want to put it back in the closet and not think about it. Because I know, you know, for me, almost every dream I had when I was a kid, I'm at this point, I'm like, yeah, astronauts not going to happen. Firefighters no longer. And, you know, those are not necessarily purposes, but I wonder if there is, you know, I definitely identify with that, that concept. If you get to the middle of your life and you look around and you think, oh, (laughs) <laughs> my purpose, I haven't been going towards it, you know, um, is, is, is this a thing, you know, to feel like you need to make up for lost time if, 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 or maybe I shouldn't look for my purpose cause I won't be able to do it anyways. Right. Great question. I mean, you know, when I was getting my PhD, there was at that time, you know, a shockingly old person in our program. <laughs> she was 45 and, you know, her kids had grown and were out and, you know, getting married and about to have kids of their own. And we were like, wow, you know, you're getting a PhD. And she was like, yeah, you know, she said, I, uh, I told someone I wanted to do this. And that I, w- I had all these fears about coming back to school and I'm going to, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to be 50 soon. And the person replied to her, well, you're going to be 50 anyway. You'll either be a 50-year-old with a PhD or you won't have one. And she was like, you're right. I'm going to go get it. So she decided to get her doctorate. And so I think two things. You know, Oftentimes we have these narrow notions of what we can do and what we should do. And, and you know, it's never too late to learn. It's never too late to pursue a new passion. With that said, if today you wanted to start the career path to become an MD, a medical, you know, medical doctor, you got a good path of schooling ahead of you because there's just certain requirements you have to hit. And if that feels like too much or too late, then the other question I would ask you is, well, what about being a doctor appealed to you? Because if we dig into that a little bit, it's, probably not about the stethoscope and wearing the white coat. It's probably more about healing, helping people recover, um, maybe the analysis of diagnosing something. And so you can start to get at what are those core pieces and say, okay, well, I absolutely could still be involved in healing work or the healthcare profession. What are some other opportunities for me to be involved in that? And if you think about just healthcare in general, there are thousands and thousands of possibilities to work in health healthcare. Um, and yet we think of only a couple. So part of it is then, you know, getting a couple career books, um, uh, and also working with career advisors, getting a couple appointments. The cool thing is learning has now been kind of, de- you know, opened up to the masses. We don't have to necessarily go through traditional paths to learn stuff anymore. So I would say it's never too late. Yeah. One other area I'd, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on, kind of along this the same line is, and and I know you're doing, um, I think you're doing a, a, a an actual lecture series on this, wired to become the neuroscience of purpose, and specifically talking about businesses. Like, so how do we bring purpose into the business world? <laughs> um, how do we bring that into our teams at work? How do we, you know, we talk about killing kids' spirits when they're when they're when they're young and they're going to school and not finding their purpose. But how do we now bring this into the workplace? Because many of us will spend more time at work than we ever did at school. 
Right. Great question. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. So one is the individual, right? Which is your personal sense of purpose. And, you know, part of that is, is going back to that Venn diagram. What do I care about? What am I good at? You know, where's, where's the intersection of these things. But part of what we do when we go job hunting is we check out the company and we check out the values of the company and what, what the culture is like and millennials more than ever, like it really matters for them. And so they've been pushing this conversation of like, I want to work at a place where I feel like the work I do contributes to something. I want to work for a company that has a social responsibility policy. I want to work for a company that gives us time off to do volunteer work. So these questions are now much more present in how people do job searching and, and, and whether they take a job or whether they leave a company. So companies are having to care about it. What's really interesting is that there's another whole line of research that shows that purpose-driven companies outperform their competitors by thousands of percentiles. <laughs> so I would encourage people to look up the book Firms of Endearment. It's a great a great book on research comparing purpose-driven organizations to others. Um, and we know that, that that data has panned out again and again. The other book I'd point people to is Aaron Hurst. He wrote The Purpose Economy. And he talks about how we're now entering the next economy. So we've had different economies. We've had the agricultural economy. We've had the information economy. That's the one that's kind of coming to the end. And we're about to enter, we're actually starting on the purpose economy, which is how people, you know, that that people care about and then will spend their dollars and will research where to spend their dollars based on this purpose. What is the contribution, the positive contribution that companies are making in the world? Uh, Tom shoes is another example, right? You know, make a pair of shoes, donate a pair of shoes. So purpose driven contribution to societal good is really becoming a core thing. And companies that have it already baked into their DNA, meaning their founders and their leaders care about that and make that front and center. They clearly outperform their peers. And for the ones that haven't been doing it, you can just see, I mean, you can just see in this year and everything that's been in the news and the election and where we're headed and what's happening globally, you can see that this is brewing for everyone and that organizations that operate from a sense of purpose and contribution are, are going to have the the top talent, like they'll be able to pick their top talent. They'll be able to keep the best people. They'll be able to perform well. So when I work with organizations, it's just making sure that, that that DNA is in place. And if it's not helping the executives get it in place, oftentimes it's there. They're just not talking about it or they haven't articulated it in a way that's really compelling to other people. And then probably the last thing I'd say on this area is, you know, Abraham Maslow, the, the creator of that Maslow's hierarchy, back in 1943, he said, individuals who do not perceive the workplace as meaningful and purposeful will not work up to their professional capacity. So even back then, he knew that there's if people are showing up and they just don't feel like there's anything meaningful going on, they're not as productive, they're not as engaged, they're not as happy, they're not leaning in and bringing their A game. So for companies you want all of your workers feeling like there's meaning in their work and that they're contributing to something valuable because that's just going to light the fire in everyone and your organization is just going to be catapulted forward. That, that blows my mind. <laughs> I really, honestly, I, I think, I think, um, I, I think the, what you, what you've said in the last uh, two and a half three minutes, I, I would uh, make it required listening for any organization or anybody who um, 
is a, is a manager of people, <laughs> um, both in finding a place where we're comfortable and then creating a space where people can, you know, finding a place where we can use our, our purpose and then creating a, a space as well where others uh, are able to to find their purpose. And, and I think the greatest organizations I've had chances to work with have all been those that really, I feel like, understood that principle really, really well. Absolutely. I mean, the data is super compelling. You know, Google found that they had 125% higher productivity of employees when they have a sense of purpose. Uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers discovered that there was 400 higher, 400% higher performance of the company as a whole when people have a sense of purpose. So, you know, part of what I do, like the brain aware manager training that I'm that I'm launching soon weaves in all these brain science principles. And part of the core of this conversation is if you're a manager, you need to know what your sense of purpose is. You need to know what the organization's purpose is, and you need to know what your employee's sense of purpose is. And then it's your job to get those things aligned so that people can see a line of sight from what they do every day to something that matters to them, either personally or that they can contribute to the the organization's mission and it matters. But when people are really disconnected and they don't feel a sense of connection, that's when you get apathy and people just not doing their best, people have more conflict. So I really believe that there's a there's the right job for every person. And when people are not in the right fit, and this speaks to you know some of the things you guys said earlier, like sometimes the best thing is, is for someone to leave an organization or lose their job because it's an opportunity to find your really good fit. You're the right fit, not the one you were kind of dealing with. So as much as I know being unemployed is incredibly stressful, the other way to look at it is you now have a clear slate to start to find the place where you're truly going to thrive and be seen for all the value that you bring. Because that's what happens is when we have people aligned around purpose, folks feel really seen and appreciated for what they're doing and they feel a lot of passion and joy for what they're contributing to. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I've got quite a few takeaways. I don't know if Leonard, you want to share some of yours first. I, I know we're getting close to the, the end of our time. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I'm just absorbing a lot. And I've, I've maybe even been slightly quieter than normal on this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a lot of things run through my mind. But uh, yeah, I, I, just some great information. Um, I, I'll let I'll let you go, Steve. I, <laughs> Sounds I, good. <laughs> Sounds good. And I know too, too many thoughts running, and um, I don't think I'd make it too coherent. So. <laughs> well, I mean, the first thing I've been excited to say the whole time is I, I'm ready to start popping some pills. You know, from P I L P I L. We we don't get the extra L anymore. That that is not as healthy. I mean, if you need them, then of course they're they're healthy, but that's not as healthy. But that purpose in life, I think one of the things that really um, I'm going to take away from this um, is first off, just all the benefits. And um, mm-hmm. as, as we look at the challenges that, that we face as society, um, I feel like they all really come back to these same things, um, mm-hmm. to, to making sure we have that, that purpose. Now, I'll tell you, though, the one thing that meant the most to me, and I, 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 um, I'm going to spend more time thinking about this, uh, and that is when you said, you know, if you can't be a, a doctor, <laughs> maybe maybe that's not possible anymore. What about that appeal to you? You right. know, and, and even just thinking about the things that that I've wanted to do in life, what is it that appealed to me about that item? And that's so empowering uh, because it all of a sudden allows me to take things that I may have dreamed about as a child, and now they're back on the table. 
um, by just that that change in perspective. So your wife is going to love it when you dig out your astronaut helmet. I, I, I know that. Well, she's she's going to have to deal with me buying that telescope I've been looking at on Amazon oh, for a while. I'll say, you know what, Britt Andrietta said I could do this. She's yeah, written a lot of books. She's a smart lady. Make sure she understands your why, right? <laughs> well, you know. Maybe just make sure it clears the bank first. <laughs> well, you know, one of the books I recommend if you're doing this exploration, it's a book by Lily Maestas, M-A-E-S-T-A-S, and it's called Get Clear on Your Career. But what it really is, is it's a workbook that helps you walk through all these value clarifications questions around what, what about that appeal to you? What are the things? And it really helps you do a little exploration and get clear on some of it. So if you need kind of a structure... Uh, that's what I would recommend. Yeah, it's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, I think one of the neatest things that happened to me is, is I don't know where I was junior high, high school or whatnot. They did sort of an assessment type thing to figure what career field you might be interested Ugh. in. And uh, well, it was interesting because they're, they're, they come up to with this conclusion for a reason, but it really, yeah, it has to be this deeper dive and kind of digging deeper and, and ultimately getting to that purpose, I think it's, it's just exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And while I groaned, why I groaned was there's some of those assessments that more peg people into a hole rather than yes. give them information yes. about themselves. I don't like ones where it says you should be a this, that, or this more than anything. I think assessments that tell you, you know, how, how your worldview and how you think in the world and then people like you have enjoyed these careers. So the Myers-Briggs is always a good one. The Enneagram is a good one. But all of these things have clues around what you might enjoy. Um, but remember, enjoying your work and really being on your sense of purpose are two, are two different things. But when they're aligned, that's when you just have magic happiness all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want magic happiness all the time. Who wouldn't, yes. right? <laughs> magic happiness all the time. That's what I wish for everybody. That, that is what we're guaranteeing at the end of today's uh, podcast. <laughs> magic happiness. Money back guarantee. Right? <laughs> Much back. Everything you put into this podcast, you get back. Yes. And please write Steve and Leonard for your money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. And if you did somehow pay for this podcast, I am sorry. That is, uh, wasn't us. You paid. <laughs> well, Britt, uh, thanks so much for sharing. I mean, it's a lot to digest and I, I, I'm, I'm still processing. So forgive me for uh, still kind of chewing on some of this, but it really is rich content and uh, definitely look forward to actually just playing this again and hearing it myself. Um, any any last thoughts that you have, Brett, prior to our closing this out? Just give last chance. Yeah, thank you. I would just say that what you're experiencing right now is fine. Like, let yourself be a little overwhelmed and let yourself sift and sort. But, you know, I think part of why it sometimes is a little shocking is that we're, we're often told, like, no, go to school, get good grades, get good grades, get a good job, get a good job, get a promotion. And we've all been on this, this kind of treadmill and... And when people start talking about purpose and passion, it's like, oh, wait, we can have those things? Yeah. Huh, do I have that? Hmm, where would I even start? So it is a little bit of a mind-blowing conversation. So if you're overwhelmed, that's okay. And I absolutely promise you that if you start to explore this for yourself and you start to sit with yourself and, and find out what you really feel and what you really want, what interests you, it's going to lead to good things. So uh, 
It's okay to be deer in the headlights and then explore and see what comes of it. And then I would just say, you know, I love connecting with people. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, my website is BritAndriata.com. And if any of you want to share your stories of passion and purpose, I'd love to hear them. So thank you for this opportunity to connect with you guys today and also for all your listeners. Oh, thank you, Brett. Always a pleasure to have you on, Brett. And for our listening audience, in case you do want to re refund and get your money back, you can write Steve and I. Uh, our, our email address is furloughedmailbox at gmail.com, furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. You can reach out to Steve and I and just share your insights, anything that you've learned from today or any questions that you might have. We'd certainly be glad to pass those on to Britt as well. And as she says, you can certainly follow her online, social media, as well as looking at her website at brittandriata.com. And with that, we'll go ahead and say thank you for joining us today. And before I conclude, as always, want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Upwards Unlimited, Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com, where they will help your organization move from culture to community. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.